welcome to the New Mama Podcast. I'm Lauren, a new mama to little Logan, and I'm here to share women's stories of pregnancy, birth, and motherhood. Spoiler alert, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. We're talking about the ups and downs of motherhood through raw, vulnerable, no BS conversations, because in reality, you can't have a rainbow without a little rain. This podcast is here to be your friend, the friend I'd wish I'd had in my darkest times to remind me that I was not alone. And it's okay to not be okay. We're in this together and mama, you got this. Hello, hello and welcome to today's episode of New Mama Podcast. Here with me today, I have Courtney Reynolds. Now, Court is a senior recruitment consultant as well as a mama to little 10-month-old Harper Jean. She's a Kiwi living in Melbourne, a budding comedian, and just the kind of legend you want in your mother's group. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So we're just going to jump straight into it. How was your pregnancy with Harper? Had you planned on conceiving or was she a surprise? Harper was a very, very happy surprise. So, um... When I was 25, I actually had my ovary removed and fallopian tube removed. Um, I had ovarian cancer, basically. It was very early stages. So I was very lucky in that it got caught um, before it had spread any further. But yeah, so without one of my ovaries, we were under the assumption that it would probably take a lot longer than it did. And we were very lucky in that she happened pretty much as soon as we started or stopped not trying, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) And looping back to the cancer what made you go and get checked out so I had really what I thought were period pains really bad period pains one morning on my way to work I got to the point where I was kind of even struggling to stand I was throwing up in in my rubbish bin under my desk at work so I walked or hobbled over to the GP um, and they ended up calling an ambulance and it ended up that this tumor they assume had kind of twisted on itself causing the pain and I was really lucky in that regard because if it hadn't twisted um, it could still be in there today you know not many people are as lucky as I am in that regard. Oh wow so you went to your GP and then what happened? They well I went to the GP they called an ambulance I got taken to hospital and I just got kind of pumped filled with drugs to stop the pain it was um pretty intense and then as the drugs wore off it was kind of middle of that night and after various people poking and prodding me and different scans they had said that they'd found a mass but they weren't sure what it was they could see the mass in the um, ultrasound um, and the chances were it was probably just a cyst it was benign but they're going to go in and kind of have a look so they did the surgery I think it was four days later and there was a, a surgery in there who I will never forget Michelle Harris she was what they call a um, gynae oncologist so kind of specializes in any cancer down that area for women and she had insisted on standing in on that surgery she said that there were some tumor markers that were raised in my blood work um, and she wanted to be there just in case um, it had come out that it was cancer so while I was in surgery, they took what they call frozen section from the tumour. They tested that while I was still under and opened up and then that came back as cancer. So they went in and kind of took took the ovary, took the fallopian tube, but Michelle Harris insisted that they only take the one to give me a chance of getting pregnant, given I was only 25 years old. So usually I think oh they, my- yeah, I would have done the whole thing, but I was lucky enough to keep 
Cape Van. <laughs> oh my gosh. Obviously, you can't see on a podcast, but I actually have goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, I, I think on the grand scheme of cancer stories, I got off incredibly lightly. They took that kind of uh, very careful approach and then gave me the option because it was so rare. It's called a dysgeminoma tumor. They gave me the option on whether or not I wanted chemo afterwards. So I could have had chemo to make sure that they get rid of any remaining cancer or they did a really intense surveillance plan afterwards that included kind of fortnightly blood work and just lots of x-rays, ultrasounds. And for the next five years, it was pretty intense, but it meant I got away without having chemo, which I'm very grateful for. Wow, that's amazing. And do you still need to get tested now? It's after the five years or what's the... So I've just come up to the five years, I think, and I'm off the radar. So I get checked just annually, pretty non-invasive, just an ultrasound, which after having a baby is very um, run-of-the-mill, not as scary (laughs) as they used to be. (laughs) So had anyone in your family had cancer before? Nobody. No, it was a completely, um, I guess, random turn of events and also something that that you ask yourself a lot of questions after stuff like that happens in terms of lifestyle and, um, you know, is there anything that I was doing or not doing that caused it? But no, it was so random. Apparently 2% of these tumours are malignant. Um, So I was just in that really unlucky 2% and um, I don't think there's enough research around at the moment to say why or how it happened just that it happened gosh well very lucky that it was found obviously unlucky that you kind of went through that but now little Harper is here how was the rest of your pregnancy uh it was pretty non-eventful to be fair we yeah obviously after getting over the initial shock of her arriving on the the very first month that I was off the contraceptive pill, we kind of just hummed along, just the normal kind of aches and pains that every pregnant woman has. I think I got intense swelling towards the end, um, a little bit of carpal tunnel here and there. But yeah, I think the main thing for me was probably COVID um, becoming a real threat when I was only, I think I would have been about eight weeks pregnant. And we had planned a trip to Japan, Um, We had all sorts of things on the horizon Um, and then COVID started being talked about in Australia. It was kind of this faraway thing for a while. Um, And then we got this email, you'll remember it, being sent around work. It was kind of cautioning anyone with underlying conditions. Um, And I ended up pulling my manager into a little uh, meeting room and I was only eight weeks and we obviously weren't planning on telling anyone um, before we were kind of past the the safe, and I say that in inverted commas, um, the safe tra- mark of 12 weeks. But she, I said, look, I don't know if this is an underlying condition, but I'm eight weeks pregnant, so I don't know what that means in, in terms of the COVID threat. And she um, didn't know either. It was all very new. And she said, you know, work from home maybe tomorrow, and then I'll let you know where we stand um, for the rest of the week. And that was almost two years ago, and I haven't been back to the office since. <laughs> <laughs> So that would have been what March 2020. Yeah. She came in October, yeah. and then now it's what nearly the end of August, and we still haven't been back into the office. And I haven't <laughs> worn a piece of corporate clothing ever since. I really jumped the gun and did a big iconic order for these corporate um, corporate wear with big maternity waistbands, and I haven't worn a single thing, which isn't a bad thing, but it's just hilarious. Just keep them for the next one. <laughs> That's right, yeah. 
Okay, so jumping forward nine months later, did Harper come on time? Was she? Yeah, she was pretty much on time. She was two days overdue. Um, So, yeah, pretty close to her due date, which I was very happy about towards the end. I think everybody gets over it by that stage. Mm -hmm. And how was her birth? Um, Look, in terms of how births go, it was pretty amazing. She, um, I woke up, I think, around 3 a.m., um, with contractions and they started getting more and more intense. Um, I let my partner sleep through those <laughs> first few hours. Um, and I actually love that. I know you laugh and I, I think um, Angus laughs too, but I actually, I really enjoyed my time by myself during those early stages of labor. We had done hypnobirthing. So I put on my hypnobirthing playlist. I put on my candles I was on my bouncy ball. It was kind of nice, the rest of the world being asleep, including Angus and just kind of doing my own thing. And then I think it was around 6 a.m. Things started ramping up a bit. Um, I got in the shower and that really helped in terms of pain relief. And then I woke Angus up at around 6.37 and like I said, it was kind of getting getting to the pointy end and he, (laughs) much to his shock, um and then we headed to the hospital at around nine I think and she arrived at 1 30 that afternoon so um yeah whirlwind it was total whirlwind wow and do you feel like doing the hypnobirthing course prepared you for her birth yeah I do I think a lot of my anxiety came from the build-up to birth versus birth itself I was, I think, I think I was about 20 weeks pregnant um, before I would even look at a picture of a woman giving birth. The whole thing just freaked me out. The thought of it was terrifying to, to me as a first time mum. But yeah, during that hypnobirthing course, I think Angus and I were both a little bit unsure of hypnobirthing. I think the word hypno turns a few people off especially him who's largely based in science and logic, but it was surprising at how scientific the course actually was. It was really fact-based around your body and um, kind of just trusting your body. And essentially the bottom line is that your body was built to do this. So just kind of really having faith in that um, and yourself. During the actual birth, I was really sick during my stronger contractions so once they started ramping up um, unfortunately I was throwing up so that was a little bit tricky to kind of focus on the breathing technique which is the um, main technique of hypnobirthing and I think I I lost control a little bit um, and I was demanding an epidural from anyone who would listen to me but luckily my midwife had my birth plan she'd read it she was really familiar with it she was very encouraging of trying different things like getting in the shower again when I was at the hospital um, and then by the time I kind of told her enough was enough, Harper was pretty much halfway out. So I just powered through and um, yeah, on all fours, she arrived. Wow. The amount of people I've spoken to who've said, you know, the pain just gets so much and you just say, give me the epidural. Like, I don't yeah. care anymore. You know, I wanted a natural birth. It's all in the birth plan, but the plan kind of goes out the window once you're you're in it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That seems really quick for a first birth. Yeah, I think the midwives were quite surprised. They did the classic, and I don't know what other people's experiences have been, but when I called to say I was in labor at about 4.30 in the morning, I don't know if it was, I'd describe it maybe slightly patronizing, but that kind of 
um, oh, you're a first-time mum, maybe take some Panadol, get a heat pack, go back <laughs> into bed. And uh, I think I threw the Panadol up 45 minutes later because the contractions are so intense and I could see it on the floor. So, yeah, I don't think it was expected for a first-time mum. But, um, yeah, I, I guess I'm lucky on the green scheme of things. The flip side of that is that the contractions get super intense super quickly and it's kind of a shock to the system. So mm. I think I got off lightly, but I've got nothing to compare it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it's interesting isn't it this whole concept of trusting your body because we did the calm birth course on the lead up to having Logan as well which is hypnobirthing and I remember one thing you know these positive affirmations that they kept speaking about and the one that really stuck with me was just to surrender your body as you said our bodies as females were designed to give birth and to go through this process and I think it's just trusting your body and I just kept replaying surrender surrender your body knows what it's doing but it's that loss of control as you say that's the scary thing yeah yeah it is and I think what also helped um me through from the hypnobirthing was actually understanding what the contractions were doing Mm -hmm. I think without that knowledge I guess it's inherent enough that pain equals fear. You're not supposed to be in pain. The minute you are, you should rush to the hospital. Whereas these kind of this pain, and again, I say inverted commas, but um, it's doing, it's preparing the baby to come out. You know, it's actually the hypnobirthing shows you what your uterus is doing. Mm -hmm. um, And it's literally pushing your baby down the birth canal. So that pain becomes slightly less scary and you realize that everything's happening the way it's supposed to. Yeah, because the whole premise of calm birth, clue is in the name, remaining calm, (laughs) because the more calm you are, the more your body can kind of work its way through what it needs to work through. And it helps with the breathing and the contractions and everything. Just I agree. It's it's an amazing course. So what's been the hardest thing for you in this new chapter? I don't think I'm alone in the fact that COVID's played a massive part in the challenges of becoming a mum or being a mum. So that isolation piece is, I guess, kind of just really felt, I know it's quite common for first-time mums or mums in general to feel that, let alone with a global pandemic playing its part, which I'm sure you know all about with your family being in Scotland. So that was a big one for me, and I think it took me by surprise a little bit as well. Um, I had a couple of friends or um, kind of loose friends who were having babies around the same time, so I just assumed that I'd feel this instant connection with other new mums and my my mum's group that was allocated to me but we weren't able to meet up in person obviously which I think is a massive part in building those connections everything was over zoom so it felt a little bit you know forced and still to just not quite naturally fully connecting and then I think another part which I also wasn't expecting was this element of grief I ended up I had a I have a really close friend my best friend simultaneously was trying to get pregnant and um, hasn't been able to and hadn't been able to and I think that put a real strain on our friendship when I had Harper and she was still trying to get pregnant and it's still something we're kind of navigating but um, she really struggled to hear about Harper and obviously it's all I had to talk about so our communication kind of dropped off as well and that really triggered me I think it felt like I was going through a breakup straight after I'd had a baby and all the hormones plus um, you know not having that person who I usually have to message all day every day um, I ended up going to my GP and just saying you know I'm bursting into tears randomly I don't know if it's hormones or what's going on but she talked me through kind of the elements of postpartum depression and said that I didn't quite meet that diagnosis but that she thinks and I 
wholeheartedly agree with her is that every woman or every person that has a baby should go and see a therapist or a psychologist just to kind of deal with this massive change like it is a total change in everything your body your mental state um, your relationships and so um, yeah I went and spoke to someone and she kind of talked me through that just mm-hmm. recognizing the grief for a few things for that friendship for my old life essentially I guess because we got pregnant so quickly um, it was literally overnight that I had to stop well, not had to stop, but, you know, my life changed. I, I wasn't living the life that I literally was 24 hours ago. And also grief, I think, for what I thought pregnancy and having a baby would be like before COVID. You know, I didn't get the, the baby shower. I, I didn't get an in-person baby shower. I didn't get my mum and my sister who were um, in New Zealand and Queensland. I didn't, it just didn't look anything like how I thought having a baby would look. So, yeah, those three elements that I was obviously grieving and um to work through that. Thanks for sharing that vulnerability. I think it's, it's often quite taboo for women to speak about the struggles around, you know, pregnancy, birth, and then becoming a new mum. And I think you're right in saying you believe that every new mum or anyone that's pregnant should kind of seek support in that mental health realm. I know I certainly did when I was pregnant with Logan. I saw a um, a psychologist who specialized in kind of yeah. pregnancy and birth and becoming a new mom and it was exactly the same thing it was grief and you grieve your old life because all of a sudden as soon as you see that line on that stick all of a sudden your life almost feels like it's been turned upside down even from then yeah and it, you also it's it's a weird kind of struggle of emotions though because especially for someone like me who's really close with someone who's desperate to get pregnant mm. you kind of feel this it's such a whirlwind, this guilt over this grief that, you know, it's all kind of messing with your head at the same time. And you know that it should be the happiest time in your life. And me, I think my pregnancy, I was, you know, I was doing really well. And it wasn't until I had half of which I assumed would be the happiest part of all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also this, and it's nothing to do with her. I adore her. I love her. I'm so pleased she's in our life. But this kind of other current of emotions that's happening alongside becoming a mum, it's just really helpful to have someone digest those with and talk to them out loud and just kind of help them make sense of them I think yeah absolutely and as you said those hormones you cannot control oh my god I honestly think I was crying maybe six times a day at the stupidest stuff like oh I can't even I remember the midwife coming to check up on me and I thought I'd um you know turned off and turned on turned off the crying and turned on the happy smiles and I opened the door and I had these big mascara panda eyes that I didn't realize I had and she the first thing she said to me was have you been crying I was like how do you know she's like look in the mirror I was so mad at Angus for not telling me (laughs) oh a guy would not think to say anything would they that's hilarious punched in both eyes it was they were covered in mascara here I was trying to wear makeup to look like I had it all together (laughs) so 10 months on are you still seeing a psychologist I'm not no so I once I kind of recognized that it was grief that I was feeling I think for me the the, I was fearful of having depression um and I really didn't want that to Mm. kind of impact on Harper and I'd never had depression before I was lucky 
in that regard. So it was kind of just recognizing what I was struggling with. And then once I got kind of some coping mechanisms and some ways, I guess, to communicate how I was feeling to the right people, I definitely felt more equipped in this wild journey that is motherhood. But I wouldn't hesitate for a second to go and speak to someone again at any point of this journey if I I thought I needed to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the difficult thing, right, is every woman is going on their own journey so your friend for example you know you're there for her as much as you can be and you want her to be happy just where she is you know in her life and her struggles it's just too much for her and it's it's difficult it's hard to work through that oh absolutely and just I guess knowing the right thing to say on either side of the fence as well yeah definitely because you'll both be feeling that element of awkwardness you know she probably wants to be happy for you but then deep down it's it's painful for her with her struggles and what she's going through and yeah it's very messy to navigate but as you said speaking to someone who's completely removed from your friendship to be able to talk through coping mechanisms and things that you might be able to do and just work through in your own head I think is always really helpful yeah absolutely all right so moving on thinking about anyone that might be listening to this podcast who is pregnant themselves certainly when I was pregnant I had this off the Richter scale anxiety around not knowing what to expect so what advice would you give to a new mum or anyone that's pregnant at the moment yeah I think that ties in probably exactly to what we were just talking about And it speaks to so many different elements. But I think if I had, you know, someone talking to me when I first got pregnant, the biggest thing I would want them to know is to just stay in your lane. (laughs) I think, and it means that, you know, in terms of conversations around what other people's fertility journeys have been like, I think don't focus on how quickly someone else has gotten pregnant or how long it's taken someone else to just focus on your own journey. Your bodies are so different. And then also, I guess, just kind of dishing out advice or receiving advice. I was laughing the other day. I caught myself um, giving unsolicited advice to one of my friends who's just had a baby. And it was the one thing that irked me so much when I was pregnant is that everybody, everyone who had done it or even people who hadn't done it had something to say. Um, And then, yeah, I can't believe I caught myself doing it to my friend. But what was the advice that you dished out? Oh, it was around sleeping. I think I was saying um, she was really struggling with her baby, not wanting to sleep in the bassinet. And I was, you know, pro sleep on you. Just let him, you know, have a cuddle for as long as you can. You'll miss it one day. (laughs) And then I stopped myself because that's not my realm. You know, she obviously wants to have a bloody shower. Then she should be able to have a shower and she needs to figure out how to get this baby sleeping. But yeah, it's, I think you just don't know what other people's babies are like. They could be totally different to how your baby was. You don't know what other people's bodies are like. They could be so different to yours. So yeah, I think everybody just, especially women, we're so bad at giving that advice to other women. We just all need to stay in our lane, focus on our journey and yeah, what works for you might not work for the next person. I think it's because we know what it's like to be in the trenches and we have been there and we so desperately want to help others. But as you say, we have, you know, we're not the mum to their baby and every baby is so different. So what might have worked for Harper might not, for example, work for Logan or work for your friend's baby. So difficult. And I, I need to be mindful of that when I have friends that are having babies and stuff moving forwards too. Yeah, it's a, and I think the other thing is 
people will ask if they want advice people will ask for advice but there's no problem with giving advice I definitely asked for it when I needed it but it's that unsolicited part of it that can be the real kicker (laughs) so funny all right so we're going to end the podcast on one final question what is the best thing about becoming a new mama Look, I'd have to say other than the obvious, which is having half a gene in my life, I just, I have this overwhelming respect for myself now, which just didn't exist before. I think there's just something incredible about building a baby inside of your stomach and then pushing it out and then like raising it and making it big and strong off this magical milk you know if you're breastfeeding this which to me was just this magical milk that came out of my nipples that I didn't see for the first at least couple of weeks you know I think I got sent home because of COVID we were home within 24 hours um, and I remember my mum texted me and saying, has your milk come in yet? How's it all going? I was like, how am I supposed to know? I just put her on my nipple and she's gulping. Does that mean there's milk there? And my mum laughed. She said, yep, that means there's milk there. But yeah, I think, you know, gone are the days, right? And I still have my moments, but where my body is this just kind of purely aesthetic thing that I, I need to get in shape for summer. It's now this thing that literally creates life and then feeds it. It's wild. The female body is just incredible. (laughs) And also, but not even the body, like I think also this intuition that I've managed to, um, Lord knows from where, but I've managed (laughs) to get. I remember when we first went, I think we went to the emergency room when she was a couple of weeks old because she flipped out of Angus's hands when he was bathing her. And she was completely fine. And I knew she was completely fine. We all just got a big shock and we ended up going to the emergency room just to kind of be be better safe than sorry. And the first thing the doctor said to me was, you know your baby, um, you know, is this normal for her? And I was like, I know her, I've known her for six days. I don't know what's normal (laughs) for her. I don't have this intuition that everyone's (laughs) harping on about. You're the you're the doctor, you should know. But yeah, I think 10 months in, I can confidently say that I do just have this, you've just got this gut feeling and you do get to know your baby the longer you spend with them. And yeah, she was fine. I knew she was fine, but I just was, I needed a doctor to reinforce it. When he said that to me, it was the most infuriating thing. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a lot of mums that I've spoken to, particularly, you know, the ones that have been on this journey with me, kind of in my mother's group and various other friends, we all have a story about the baby being dropped or like (laughs) falling or something. I remember Matt was bathing the baby and I was actually asleep at this point because he was doing the bath bottle routine while I went to bed early. And I remember the next day (laughs) he was like, oh, so look, I don't want you to worry. Everything was fine. But when I was taking Logan to the bath and he he didn't have any clothes on and he kind of kicked out. So had him in the rugby hole. So his legs were kind of against his body. And Logan, for whatever reason, has always had really kicky, strong legs. So he kicked off Matt, did a 360, <laughs> turned around and Matt caught him just before he hit the floor. <gasps> So he was telling me this the next day. I just saw red and I was just like, all right, from now on, you're going to hold him with two hands. <laughs> you're not going to hold him in that hold anymore. Oh, God. I love how he waited till the next day to tell you about it. 
If there were any injuries that were going to appear overnight, would have appeared already. I would have probably been just as mad if he'd have woken me up to tell me the story anyway. So I feel like oh, in the yeah. first in the first few months, men partners often just cannot win. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I think it it's also the first baby thing. My sister's got four of them, and I can tell you for a fact that the fourth one's probably done a hundred somersaults in the bath we're out of people's hands and there's not been one trip to the emergency department versus the first one which we're so nervous about it's so funny isn't it it's that mum intuition that you wish you'd had at that six day mark <laughs> yeah we've got to give yourself time everybody will get it eventually and if you don't I'm sure there's enough google pages out there to help us out but it's a really good point actually now that you mention it in saying you know you don't really know them at that six month mark and I think that comes to the point that you often see on kind of Instagram and stuff you know birth announcement being like my heart is so full and I can't love them anymore etc etc but the reality is you don't really know them like yes you've grown them for nine months but particularly you know the partner it's the first time that they've met them they haven't felt them kick inside and kind of seen their belly grow and all that kind of stuff like it is I think it's really difficult and a lot of mums don't get that kind of instant love at first sight emotion no, it's a, and I feel like even if you do get that instant love at first night emotion, you still don't know what's normal for them until you spend mm. a decent chunk of time. I think when we first got half a home, I don't know if all babies do this, but she was throwing up amniotic fluid. I think it was day three or four. She mm. had kind of these big watery throw ups. And yeah, that wasn't normal for her. You know, in the, in the two days I'd known her, she'd never thrown up. So I panicked and then got told that it was quotation marks normal. And so, yeah, even if you do have this instant connection it's all just a journey of getting to know each other getting to know what normal looks like and yeah forming that kind of gut feel oh yeah it's literally learning on the job <laughs> no it was the most difficult job that you'll ever do and it's bizarre that we have to just learn on the job you'd think there'd be some some kind of course <laughs> there is not and that's the thing it's learning literally on the job and it is the most difficult but the most rewarding job you'll ever have in your life it's the best yeah all right well thank you so much for your time Cor it's been a pleasure catching up with you and I will no doubt speak with you soon thank you so much for having me Laz thanks for listening to the new mama podcast be sure to hit subscribe to hear future episodes or share with a friend otherwise if you'd like to share your story send me a dm via instagram at new mama podcast and remember it's okay to not be okay we're in this together and mama you got this <laughs>